This podcast is part of the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. Go to michigansportsandentertainment.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to... We're watching here. We're watching here. God, it never gets old. Uh, this is opinion- <laughs> I hope it doesn't for the listeners. <laughs> this is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. Hi, everybody. My name is Chris Williams. With me is the uh, Murtal to my rigs, uh, Perry Seibert. <laughs> Trying to find new ones everywhere. You're the one with the death wish. You're, the, like- one- well, you're the one who's too old for this shit. I'm the- so. <laughs> Fair. Fair. So- <laughs> Thank you for listening, Fair. everyone. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Cameron Crowe movie, Say Anything, which hits its 30th anniversary this year. Actually, this month. Uh, it was released in April 1989. But before we do that, uh, have you been watching anything good? You know, I I have not been uh, uh, been really into anything I feel like sharing, other than to say that uh, this will give a hint of when this was uh, recorded, Chris. Earlier this week, I was taken aback by a Twitter video. Announcing a new Bill and Ted movie. Excellent. <laughs> Party time. No, wait, that was Wayne's <laughs> World, which I much prefer to Bill and Ted. Uh, yeah, they're gonna do this. And I am, I am only okay with this because I truly think Alex Winter's, uh, talented and insane. And if he's, has a certain amount of creative control over this, I'm, I'm kinda okay with it and where it might go. But, oh, this is so unnecessary. You know, the thing is, and I put this on Facebook, I'm happy to watch a third Bill and Ted. My life was perfectly fine (laughs) with with the series being closed as it was. I have no lingering questions about Bill and Ted. They they closed that off pretty good. 30 Um, years later. I thought it was very nice that Keanu Reeves announced it with his grandma, but... (laughs) I just don't know what to say about this. I I just... They've wanted to do this for a... This has been a stop and start for about 10 years. Ed Solomon really has been pushing hard to write this. And it's like a passion project for him. Alex Winter has a nice little career going uh, as a writer, producer. Yes. He doesn't need to do this. We know Keanu doesn't need to. Keanu doesn't need to do this. Which is, yeah, why I kind of hope it's being, I mean, I am, what I am frightened of is Anchorman 2. Yes. Which was awful. It's so bad, I hate it more than I hate the first one, and I hate the first one. Oh, I love Anchorman. <laughs> I don't. Oh, God. I don't. <laughs> I really dislike Anchorman. <laughs> but it's better than Anchorman 2. <laughs> See, I feel like the one that I'm really dreading this turning into is Dumb and Dumber 2, uh, which is kind of a similar, hey, we're coming back after so many years. Yeah. It's like, why? That we, didn't work. Like, we built so much fondness in you while you were away. Don't don't make us take that away. Here's another thing I don't want. Now that they've perfected the we're going to make everybody look younger on screen technology, I don't want this to play a part of this. They better both be 50 or else I am not interested. From what I've heard, and I kind of like this, and again, I, I will see this if it looks good because I feel like they've been pushing. No one's been asking for this. They, they seem to want to do it, which is fine. Right, and, yes. And I'm good with that, and I like Bill and Ted. It's a good-natured, fun little movie. It's not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination. The sequel's better. The sequel is better. I, Bogus Journey is one of the, like, along the lines of Gremlins 2, 
the sequel that just kind of goes crazier, and I love it for it. But um, I've heard that the story is basically Bill and Ted continued to slack off <laughs> and realized they never wrote the great song that was going to change the world. So now in middle age, they have to scramble and do it. Maybe that's funny. I don't. I'd love to see funny Keanu Reeves again. Um, yes, I, I do. Agreed. You know, I, I'm a John Wick fan, but uh, you know, to see him kind of play that uh, that stoner again would be okay. But <laughs> I'm not. I mean, this is not. I'm not clearing my top ten list for next year or anything on that. Um, but yeah, that's that's definitely definitely a sequel I did not see coming. No, um, no, but. Good for them. They need to eat. So, <laughs> How about you, Chris? What have you been watching? Uh, you know, I saw this a few weeks ago, but it's still going to be relevant because I know it's going to come on CNN in the next few months. Um, I saw the documentary Apollo 11. Oh, uh-huh. Um, the prequel to Apollo 13. Of course. Um, no, this is um, <laughs> this this is another documentary about the moon landing. I didn't know if we needed one. We've, we've covered that pretty well. Uh, with several great documentaries. If you believe that. <laughs> but I would That's say... That's a joke, people. I am not a moon landing denier. Oh, great. Twitter's going to love this episode. Uh, no, this is a documentary made up of special footage from NASA. Like, they had cameras rolling the whole... <laughs> I didn't yeah, realize uh-huh. what it's yeah. yeah. The footage Kubrick actually <laughs> shot? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is not... This is not a talking head documentary or anything. This is uh, this is cameras in mission control on the rocket the whole time. Uh, and it basically is structured. So it starts, you know, six hours before launch, takes you through it, takes you down to Splashdown. And it is incredibly immersive. I saw this on IMAX and it was fantastic. The footage they had was so clear. Uh, and I realized it. <laughs> You're realizing now you, you drank Kool-Aid, didn't you, Chris? <laughs> Took the Kool-Aid on the moon landing. Good good on you. Anyways, if you're a nerd who does believe in the space landing... Um... <laughs> oh, oh, no, no. Remember, we landed there. We just haven't seen it. Oh, that's right, that's <laughs> the right. footage is fake. We got there. <laughs> Anyways, this is a great movie. I, I enjoyed this documentary quite a bit. Um, <laughs> but it, it will probably get a showing on CNN sometime this year. Um, probably, I would guess this summer when the 50th anniversary comes up. Um, but yeah, it, it's really, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating look. It's, I've heard nothing but good things. It, about it's it. really good. Um, it's a shame the week after this, Captain Marvel came out and took all the IMAX screens yeah. up. And IMAX was such a great way to see this. I, it was just, cause it was all filmed. The documentary was 70 millimeter shot. They were going to put out a theatrical release back in the 60s, never did it. And they cleaned it all up for this, and it looks fantastic. So. I was actually uh, the weekend before we recorded this. I was actually in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and Captain Marvel is is playing at the Cinerama Dome. Oh, that's <laughs> isn't that owned by Quentin Tarantino? No, no, he owns the New Beverly. Oh, okay, okay, totally yeah. different. The Cinerama Dome was the old fashioned. It's the giant globe right down on. It's on Sunset. It's a huge screen. Okay. Uh, go if you ever get the chance. No okay. matter what's playing, it's all it's right. a piece of movie history. Did you go see Captain Marvel? I did, but I did not see it at the Cinerama Dome. Okay, I saw okay. it before we got there. And it's probably not worth talking about. It's, it's the conversation we have every time we talk about yep, Marvel yep. movies. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I, I, here's my complaint specific to this one. Why, 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 why are we doing a whole movie to explain the beeper? Why are you wasting my time with this? This isn't storytelling, so I don't know what this is other than making a lot of money. That's my problem with this I, universe at this point. I had fun with this. I, I thought the, Stuff between Captain Marvel and um, 
her friend back on Earth was the best stuff in the movie. Uh, that's where I thought the movie felt different for me. You don't really see that in Marvel movies. I thought the rest of the story was a huge step back for formula. <laughs> it was back to get the thingy and, you know, yes. it, it, and whatever. Um, but you know what movie isn't really formulaic and uh, is actually pretty good and worth talking about? <laughs> is uh, Say Anything. Hey, isn't it the 30th anniversary? It, it, it is. <laughs> it is. It's uh, the 30th anniversary of the 1989 movie Say Anything. Um, which, you know, I don't even know that we need to explain what this movie is. I, this is a very beloved movie. Um, in your it. eyes, the light, the heat. Yeah, that, that boombox is an antique. Please put it down. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't hurt the boombox. John, lower it. Slowly. Please. <laughs> I, I, I'm really happy to talk about this movie because this has been a favorite of mine for a long time. Cameron Crowe is someone I I like a lot of his films quite a bit. I dislike a lot of his films quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're going to get to this. But, uh, we're going to get to the career autopsy later in the episode. But I was really curious to go back to the beginning. I had not seen Say Anything in nine years. It was the first movie my wife and I watched for our first Valentine's Day. Oh, how sweet. So it was February of 2010 we watched this. I had not watched it since. And, uh, yeah, I loved going back to it. Uh, what's your history with this? Uh, I saw it in the theater. I remember it vividly because it cracked both Siskel and Ebert's top ten list. Okay. In 1989. It. it was like ninth and, I think it was nine on Siskel's and tenth on Ebert's. Or I maybe transposed those. Uh, which is, <laughs> side note, very interesting. They share like six or seven films that year. <laughs> in a film a year, it was really good. They agreed, uh, like, and like four of their top five were the same. Oh, really? And like seven of ten. It's a, it's a remark. It's a, it's, and it's odd for that much mm. uh, crossover to happen. Uh, I saw it in the theater. I remember seeing it in the theater. I'm being super excited to see it in the theater. Uh, I've seen it a ton. I saw it on video a bunch and I saw it most recently, uh, I think three or four years ago, I showed it to Emma, my oldest, when she was a okay. high school sophomore or junior, probably. How'd she, uh, how'd she like it? Oh, she liked it. Okay. So I knew she would. It's, it's, it is a remarkably likable movie and it is, uh, it is, it, it is the reason John Cusack still has a career. Yes. Let's face yeah. it. He has he has done more than enough to ruin the goodwill that he's built up from this part, and yet he still hasn't, which is remarkable. Lloyd Dobler's powerful, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I... Gosh, I don't even know where to start with this, because it's... It's a debut that is so just assured in what it is. And, I mean, this is the first movie Cameron Crowe directed. He had written Fast Times at Richmond High. Mm-hmm. He'd had a career as a journalist, um, which he later, of course, adapted into Almost Famous, which we can talk about later. Um, but this was his first movie. And I, I got to say, this is a movie. I, I wrote this on Facebook. I rem- When I think back on this movie, I always think, oh, yeah, say anything. I like this movie. This is this. I like this movie. And then I watch it, and I'm like, oh, no, I love this movie. <laughs> this is a really... And, and, it's not one of those movies that I love because, oh, you know, I was young once and I, I love the uh, the feelings it brings up of being a teenager. I think it's just genuinely well-told story about some really great characters. Yeah. I, it, I mean, the character work in here is so well done. Um, I, I, I love this movie. Um, yeah, I guess, where would you want to start on this? Uh, well, I think it's worth saying, uh, what I love about it is that coming off of Fast Times at Ridgemont High mm-hmm. and The Wildlife, he actually has a writing credit on that movie too. He's, okay. he, he had a couple of screenwriting credits. What I love about the movie is how incredibly modest it is. It is, it feels 
like such a low budget movie. I'm yeah. sure it was. I'm sure it didn't take a lot to make this movie. Uh, but it feels like I, it, it, it's the confidence. It's like, I know I've got this. Mm-hmm. I can do this. I know how to do this. It can't be, is it 89 minutes? It can't be much more than 90. It's a really tight movie. Uh, it's an hour 40. It is, it's an hour 40. Hour 40. It doesn't feel like it. It is lean. Uh, it is on points to the end. The music is, uh, mostly original and really mm-hmm. good. Like, I can't, I, other than In Your Eyes, I don't think of it as tied to a particular, no. uh, era. it's not tied to being 1989's music in any way, as opposed to his follow-up film, which suffers from that at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is universal. It is the only, it is the first of the two universal movies he managed to pull off. <laughs> Um, his two best movies. Yeah, the other one being, of course, we bought a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I was thinking Aloha, but okay. The uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's everything. It's it's good. It's such a good movie. It's such a good first film. Yeah, uh, and it's almost depressing how good a first film it is, considering how empty he was creatively just ten years later. Yeah. Uh, it, it is funny. I've been listening to this podcast, 80s All Over. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I am not. It is a podcast. It's Drew McLeany and Scott Weinberg. And they basically, they, they started it probably about two years ago. Every other week, they start in January 1980. And every other week, they do a different month. And they're basically, every episode is talking about every theatrical re- release of that month. Okay. So it's kind of, these were the movies that were off this month, some of which are totally forgotten for good reason. Yes. Uh, and, but one of the things to keep coming back to is the 80s was this age of the teenage sex comedy. Yes. And I, I, I'm mad, you know, unfortunately, I think Fast Times are Rich Around High, people lump that in there, which is not the same thing. I mean, that is a very nuanced. It is and isn't. Honestly, right. But it's not the crass. They would refer to those movies today as, like, you know, Porky's is a sex crime. But, uh, but you know, it, Fast Times are Rich Around High is very nuanced, realistic, heartfelt look. It's it's a movie I admire even if I don't like a lot of it because uh, it's a tough movie in some spots. Um, but say anything, I think there's there was always this mentality I had before I saw it because I didn't see it until I was in my twenties or so. There was another one of those kind of crazy teen romances, <laughs> just with all the complications and crazy humor and stuff. And it's really not. It's a sweet, very focused, like you said, uh, love story, um, but complicated between some parental entanglements. And it just, it works so well as that. It, it's very, it feels very low stakes, even though it's not low stakes. Yeah. Um, it, it feels very gentle. The, there's, I think there would be a tendency to kind of play up the opposites attract between Lloyd and Diane, where he's, you know, he's kind of unpredictable and she's more straight laced and look how they don't get along. But instead, that's how they attract to each other. And the movie just very quickly doesn't waste a lot of time with will they, won't they. They just, they get together, they have this sweet romance, and there are some complications that come out of that. Yes. And that's the movie. And it works because I love the three characters at the heart of this so much. And Oh, four. Who's the fourth? Well, who do you think is the third? <laughs> well, I, okay. Red <laughs> Dobler, Diane Court, Diane's dad. Okay. Who's the fourth? Oh, Lily Taylor. <laughs> Okay, okay, I need her there. Yes. Otherwise, this doesn't work for me. She's she's very important. She's because that's the yeah. that's the key that's the key fight later in the movie. She's when she's mad that mm-hmm. he's mad that she talked to her dad about the two of them. He's embarrassed by this, and and she's like, "Well, you talk to your friend." But even that, <laughs> they brush over like he brushes over that and clears that up in a recording. 
Like, even then, it doesn't dwell on the complications. No, 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 yeah, but I'm saying that, I think that's how important she is to the movie. It's, yeah, that's, okay. that's all I'm trying to express. Totally yes, yes. Okay. She's certainly more important than, uh, 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 uh the future young, Ari Gold. Yes, yes. I just caught him this time in that. Yeah. Um, when he had hair. Um, yeah. and he actually looks younger today than he did, uh, back then. <laughs> and he's just as obnoxious then as he is you now. You know, and I think Lily Taylor is really important now that you mention that. Oh, because yeah. she's the picture of what we normally get in these teen movies. The quick infatuation, the heartbreak and everything, all the drama. Yes. Like, we don't have that with them. You know, there's drama, but it's... Her and Joe, man. Her and Joe. 66 songs. I want that movie. <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing. I was going to say that, too. There's a party scene early on in the movie. And I think it is the best scene in the whole movie. <laughs> because there are 20 different movies happening. All those characters have some life. They are yes. fleshed out. And yet, every interaction we see is tied to revealing some bit of Lloyd to Diane. Yes. Or opening something up in her. And it's it's both focused, but it's also really rich character work for characters who would normally be brushed off in another movie. Yes. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the, uh, I, I just how she, Diane's navigating the party and ha- on the one hand having this, this experience where she realizes how alienated she's been. But at the same time, she's having everyone tell her how good of a guy Lloyd is. Yes. And she, well, you know, it's not the moment she falls in love with him, but it's the moment she kind of has the door kicked open, not by anything he's doing. He's just kind of, you know, walking around looking at her, which she picks up on. But it's everyone telling her, he's a good guy. He's a stand-up dude. And you're kind of lucky to be here with him. Yeah. And, and I love that. And then that's, of course, followed by the walk where he walks around the glass and everything, which is, I'm sure, also, which is also a very sweet moment. Well, and I love you, you're leaving out in the middle of that, the, the great cut of they gotta help that kid find his way mm-hmm. home, the huge loss from the party. They get in the car, night. they turn it on and they say, coming up, six hours of uninterrupted <laughs> rock and roll. And then the cut is to the car slowing down and the sun up, and that's it. We see none of that six hours. Which is, you think, that's weird, and you're like, no, that's exactly right. I don't need to see any of that. Yeah. I know what they've done now. That's great. And there's kind of the implication they were talking during that. No, they just spent six hours in Twilight listening to music together, yeah. which is, we all know what that does for any relationship. Yeah, I, God, I love that. I love that whole sequence. It's it's really good. Um, you would not have this movie being talked about today if it weren't for John Cusack in that role, though. Like, he is just, he's so dynamite in that movie. And to your point where you said, I think that's the blank check for his entire career. I go back and forth on this. He's wonderful, and I don't mean to discount him. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say he's the only reason. I really I don't. don't. Think he's the only- I think okay. the film, there, I mean, there were, and I, now I'm thinking about this for the first time because we didn't prep this, because <laughs> I know you were going to go here with it. There had to have been a number of people who could have done that. I I can't believe he's the only actor of that age who could have played that part that well. Let's think about this. I mean, his contemporary... I mean, Sean Penn was not too old to play that part. Sean Penn would have been fantastic in it. It would have been a different movie. But it would have been fantastic in it. It's a great part. Yeah. I, I, I want to reward the writing here. As much as the performance. Yes, he's wonderful and sweet and mm-hmm. great. And yes, he is sweeter than a lot of other guys might have been in that part. But I don't think it's... I don't think he made it... He made it what it is. I don't want to say he's the only one capable of doing that. Okay. I, that's fair <laughs> enough. Is what I mean to say. I also think that undercuts everybody else in the film who I think are equally as good and don't get the credit. Ioni Sky is fabulous in the movie. She is. I do want to get to her in a minute. And John Mahoney is amazing in the movie. And truly, Lily Taylor is doing what no one else could have done. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> with those parts. Fair enough. So, 
that's only me sticking it for the rest of the cast, not denigrating John Cusack. Fair enough. Okay. I, I do think there is, there's this kind of like jittery energy he brings to it though that I really like. And I do feel there's yeah. a, there could be a tendency to play him as weird, but not sincere. Whereas I feel like Cusack brings the sincerity to it, which is, yeah, he's, Kind of this guy who has no plan for his life. He's going to be a kickboxer. Which yeah. you, you know in two years he's not kickboxing anymore. No. Uh, but you know what? I believe that he, when he meets Diane, he wants to spend his life with her. Yeah. Or wants to, you know, and there's a sincerity he brings, but there's just kind of just this nervous energy that Cusack has too. Like, there's the moment where he calls and asks her for the date. And she is trying like mad. I've been on Lloyd's end of the phone call <laughs> where she is trying to let him down gently. And the way he plays that, you just watch his hand movements and everything, and he's pacing it's like it's a fight scene. Like he is pushing through to get his chance. Yeah. And, and I love that. I, I think that is such and maybe someone else could have done that, but he did it. And yeah. yes. And that is kind of what you say. You're hoping for that in every Cusack performance and we're not getting it. I but. would, I would give you that. Yes, he is. You're right. I never thought about how insistent he is, and that insistence could come off as incredibly creepy mm-hmm. and unattractive, and it doesn't in that movie. Yes, you're absolutely right. I would give you that. And I, I, take, I, 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 I step back from my statement earlier. <laughs> I do like watching it today too. Like there, there's a, there's a place where in today. You know, maybe someone today would remake this movie and they would give Lloyd the better, you know, he would be the one to be right to just sleep around after they break up and everything. But I love that he has that scene where he goes and talks to all the other guys mm-hmm. and they're, they're just convincing him, you know, what? forget her, you know, women are crazy. You have every right to be angry. Kind of, you know, what you would say today would be the toxic males. And yeah, I love that in just one scene, it's Lloyd, just... Lloyd, all Nolan Lloyd, yeah. <laughs> I just love that they give that that one scene to explain it, but he's a good guy, so he's not going to go that way. Like he can't he can't follow them yes. there. Um instead he hangs out her side her room with a boombox, which is a little creepy. But uh, you know, it's a statement. Though and to be fair, the one I mean, if I'm going to levy a complaint to the movie, and I don't wish to, I think it's perfectly fine, is there is no equivalent scene of that for Diane. It's not no. about her. And I think the film is Less than it could be because of that. When now, whether that he didn't feel confident enough to write that 20, 30 years ago, I would understand. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, what do I know about what that girl is experiencing? Maybe nothing, so I'll just avoid it. Well, I, I get think- that, and I don't think the film is hurt because I think that's looking at it through a lens of now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be fair, it is Lloyd's story, but the Diane stuff is so good, and the stuff with her dad is so good. I'm like, can't we have one scene with Diane that isn't about either of them. And we get it. We, we get it with the, with the agent. That's the whole point yeah. of that scene is, is the first time she acts independently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, and still it's another man, which is fine. I get it. That's, that's it. Uh, but it's, it's, it's the thing I wish that was there. <laughs> and why I think my daughter doesn't like the movie as much as I do. I can, I can definitely see that. Um, because one thing I noticed, I guess, all her scenes with John Mahoney so good. are so good. We will get to National Treasure John Mahoney in just a minute. I do feel like, how do you pronounce that? Is it Ioni Sky? Ioni Sky. Okay, good. I got it right. The um, daughter of? I do not know that. Donovan. I did not know that. 60s folk legend of Donovan. I yes. Did, I did not know that. Yes. Um, 
she she is really good in this. And I do feel like watching it again, I realize I don't know if her role is entirely on paper. I think she brings a lot to that role. Yeah. Because in especially in the scenes where she's kind of hesitating on the relationship. She's wonderful. Another <laughs> actress could just make that a vacillating, indecisive person. And I feel like with Aoni Scott, you can see her thinking. You can... She just brings so much with just a facial expression that it adds depth to a character who I don't know has all the depth in the world on the page uh, in that relationship when it comes to explain her reasons to break up with him or anything. And she is good. And she is a she is an actress who I wish we saw more of. Um, yeah. I, I know she popped up in Shallow Hal. She popped oh, up. Oh, my word. Uh, Zodiac. She's fantastic. It's a, one of the best oh, scene, yeah. sequences in Zodiac. Uh, if you've never seen the Alison Anders film, Guess Who Lodging, which comes just a couple years after okay. this. Oh, she's fabulous in that. That's a great, okay. that's a great indie from that period that, that just feckin' early mm-hmm. 90s indie period. It's great. Uh, great episode uh, of Arrested Development, too. She's in. I would, but I don't remember which one, but I believe you. She I, plays Anne's mom. Yes, uh, she does! And she wants Michael to teach her, <laughs> teach her his secular ways. Yes, she does. <laughs> she's, she's a fantastic actress. She is. Who, she is. Who is choosier. <laughs> and, and she's good. She's really good. And she gets to play all her scenes, all, well, not all her scenes, but a lot of her scenes opposite John Mahoney, who <laughs> is so fantastic. And, and I'm to the point where I might take back. I do feel like with John Cusack, I think that's culturally the reason a lot of people still remember sure. this. That is probably what I was trying to say. Is culturally, there's a reason why people remember this movie. They love John Cusack in this. Yes. And I think he's great. I think John Mahoney elevates this movie to something else. Um, I, I, I love him in I, I love that he is not, he's not a good guy, but you understand what he's doing and why he's doing it because he has this love for his daughter and wants to, you know, he has this whole plan that she's going to succeed and be the success and he'll, yes, he'll sell everything, even his morality for that. Yes. And you both hate him and you understand him, but the reason you really dislike him is not because he cheated people, but because he didn't tell her. Yeah. Because their relationship is so well-formed. Yeah. Um, and I, what's weird is I watched this on the last episode. We talked about Eight Men Out briefly, which he's in. Yes. This was a year after Eight Men Out. Yeah. He looks younger in this. <laughs> his, hair's, his hair's brown. and uh, Well, he had that voice. I, li- I remember listening to an interview with him. I think Fresh Air, we ran their interview with him after he passed away. Okay. And uh, I missed this the first time where he talked about how he spent... He did these controlled vocal exercises for like year, like like a valley boy for like five years. I did it again. <laughs> a period of years where it was a controlled screaming to make his voice that sandpaper. He chose okay. to have this voice, much like Tom Waits chose to have that singing voice, and you know, you know, did what he did to his throat to get that voice, and it pays off. So well yeah. <laughs> in this movie and in and in Eight Men Out, it lets him play older than he is yeah. in Eight Men Out, and it lets him play. I mean, there's a kind of a reason he's here. looking younger in this one too. He's he's a guy who carries himself yes. a certain way. Uh, that scene where he goes to buy the luggage. Yes, I was just going to oh. say. It. And yeah. he's he's flirting with the cashier, and then his cards decline. Yes. I wanted to curl up in a ball and die watching that. A fabulous actor's moment. Oh gosh, it's so. And the way she lets him down, just so quietly and respectfully, and, and remember that's this is the year after Moonstruck, where he's got the wonderful two scenes where he's the 
horn dog professor who ends up spending having dinner with Libby. Like, oh my God, Chris, you will love Moonstruck so much. Okay, I will you will love Thank Moonstruck you. so much. Every year, every week. Oh, Chris. Yeah. Oh, oh, John Patrick Shanley's script is perfect. I was nine, so. Oh, I don't yeah. care. You've had thirty years, Chris. <laughs> And it's okay. always on either Amazon or Netflix. It seems like it's always there. All right, there. well, it'll get added. Oh, my God, Moonstruck is absolute. Yeah. That is that is writing perfection. That is, oh, you'll love it. Oh, I'm so, I would, to, to watch you watch <laughs> Moonstruck for the first time would be a pleasure. Um, but going back to Mahoney, he has two, also, he has my funny, what I, what I think is the funniest scene in the movie. Um, and I don't know why it makes me laugh so hard, but it's when, early, first scene he's in the movie. He's driving with Diane. She's reading her speech to him. And she gets to the <laughs> go back line. And he laughs so hard. Yes. And then, you know, at the uh, at the ceremony, no one else Nothing. laughs. And he's cracking up. And that, just, yes, that makes me laugh. But then he has, I think, he has a scene where after he realizes his card's been declined, he's just sitting in the bathtub, terrified. Yeah. And that that's such a heartbreak. It's closing moment. in. And I just, oh, I, lo- I love his work. I love their relationship. That that... That relationship has as much heft to it as the Lloyd Diane relationship. Yeah, which it has to. The point, yeah. Yeah, or else it's not going to work. I am a bit, I'm curious what you think about the ending, though. Because. Oh, I like it. Is there a sense where she's, like, is there an ending to this movie where she doesn't go with Lloyd and doesn't need her dad? Or is it saying she needs a man? No, but there's an ending where, no, but there's an ending where they get to Europe. It's just Europe. Uh, They get on the plane. They don't I'm going with her. No, I'm just trying to put the destination. Yes, they're going to England. I'm the problem that's going with her. I'm the, I'm the complication. Or I'm the, whatever, I forget his line. Distraction. I'm the distraction. distraction that's going to England with her. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, to be fair, I will take, I will take what is presented at us. Mm-hmm. We are presented with a happily ever after in that it's, as soon as the light goes out, as soon as the light goes out, everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. And it ends with the light going out. Mm-hmm. So I think we're given the happy ending. Sure. It's vague enough that if you carry into it, no, I think there's a very plausible version of this story where they get there and after a few months they realize, well, this really doesn't work because they're not compatible or because he loses interest or because she decides I need to be on my own for any number of reasons. But for the moment, I'm fine with it being there. I don't need that. I don't want a, I, I have no interest in a sequel. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, I have no interest in a sequel that isn't going to be done nearly as well as Link Letters covered this. We don't need. <laughs> I, uh, we, we don't need them thirty years later. <laughs> well, I'm gonna agree with you because I, I that question came up and I kind of chewed over it, but I came to the same conclusion mainly because I don't think it's about Diane needing a man. But if you look at what Lloyd represents, what her dad represents, her dad is planned. We know this succeeds. We know your life has been planned out from this moment. You're going to go here. This is going to work. Don't deviate from the plan. That's why he doesn't like Lloyd. Right. You know, it's not that he doesn't want to start dating a guy. He doesn't want her dating a directionless guy who says, you know, I don't want a normal career. I, I, you know, he wants her to succeed and probably wants her for himself. So, like, not a creepy way, but. No, I think that's an interesting mm-hmm. debate. I, I don't know that. I would have liked, I would have liked that sequence. I would have liked a reference to another relationship he'd squashed. Maybe with someone who wasn't like that, who, who did seem okay. like a really good man. Yeah, that's that. the kind of thing that would have added, mm-hmm. given, uh, Diane's character, the depth mm-hmm. that I'm saying I wish was, I, it's not like she's two dimensional at all. She's mm-hmm. a fully realized character. 
I just wish there'd been a hair more for her. It's it's what you get when you have a movie that is this focused, I think. Yeah, and maybe um, maybe it was in a, in a sure. screenplay at some point. Who knows? Um, but Lloyd, of course, is the he's representing. You take a chance. Don't don't plan everything yeah. out. And I do love that thematically. That last moment is that it's huh. them on the plane, and you don't like you don't know that everything's okay. You don't know that they get to England, and they're no. okay. The whole point is they don't know. That light goes off. Statistically speaking. Yeah. You're safe once the plane goes up, once yeah. the light goes up. That light goes off. That's the moment where they're supposed to be safe. But we don't even really see them relax after the light goes off. No. The light goes off, movie ends, which is a really great ending. Yes, and it's a nice graduate homage. Yes, which yes. Is what I always it felt is, it was. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a twist on that. And yeah. I, I enjoy that um, to, the, to the extent that, yes, they have talked about a sequel in recent years. And I really worry about that because Crow's career is not in a great place right now. Oh. Cusack's career is not in a great place right now. I do not want this. I, <laughs> this is not, like you said, this is not the before series. The whole point of this movie is this time in their life, a teenagers learning to kind of I, take a risk. The only reason I would kind of be interested is that, you know, uh, uh, Crow and his longtime wife, Nancy Wilson from Heart, they divorced mm-hmm. in 2010. And if this is going to be let, let, his best films, and it's this, which I don't know how autobiographical it is, so I don't want to I don't want to hang that on it. But almost famous is certainly, oh. certainly, uh, whatever the filmic term of, a term of Romano Clef is. I mean that is that is as autobiographical, oh, yeah. autobiographically inspired as a film can get. Uh, and he's been bereft since then. There, there's nothing close to a good movie after that. No. Uh, and there's truly wretchedness in there too. Uh, you know, if that were to focus him, if you were actually right about the end of that relationship, I'd be in. I would like to, I, I would see that. I am, I am interested if that's what he so wants like, to do. So like take up with Lloyd and Diane, but it's not about Lloyd and Diane. Or yeah, they're, they're, they're done and can't quite get out of each other's lives. You know, whatever it is, whatever it is, I I would, that's the only way I want to see this. I don't need to see them in happy middle age and go through some sort of trauma with one of their kids and have trouble and then survive or not survive that. I don't care. I don't even know that Paul has it in him. I don't know that he does either. And that, that makes me sad because I feel like there was a period where Cameron Crowe, based solely on this movie and Almost Famous, was my favorite filmmaker. Because I, I still to this day, Almost Famous is one of my twenty favorite movies. I love Almost Famous. <laughs> you like that more than I do, and I like it a lot. But I, 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 I love Almost Famous. Um, it's, it's there's remarkable good things in that. <laughs> but then after that, it's what it's Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky, which is at least interesting and feels like what it is. It feels like I'm not sure what to do. I've made friends with Tom Cruise. He wants to do this. Okay, let's see if I if my talent can be used on this. Jerry Bruckheimer's before. Yeah, Jerry Bruckheimer's fine. But then, <laughs> and Vince Guy is an interesting, I don't know what to do next. And what you want to do next was Elizabeth Town, which is truly wretched. It is one Elizabeth of the most Townsend. unwatchable, unlikable, un, unfathomable, uh, emotionally and psychological movies I've ever seen. And it's a terrible film. And here's the thing that really disheartened me about Elizabeth Town. And that it is, it seems on the surface like what he does, which is right. this character romance, there's kind of, a unique spin on the situation. It feels very focused in theory, but it just and it's, everything it's is lifeless. Wrong. And it's the I feel like I remember, and it's been a long time. I saw it in theaters, and that was it. 
I feel like there was one good moment in that movie, and it was an all night phone call they had that. Um, God, I don't even remember. Yeah, Orlando Bloom and it's Kirsten Dunst in it, right? Uh huh. The original all... Manic Pixie Dream Girl, as dubbed by Noel Murray. <laughs> yep. Uh, Nathan, was it Noel Murray or Nathan Raven? I thought it was Noel Murray. Maybe it was Nathan Raven. Um, one of those AV Club guys. But uh, yeah, it, it, the rest of that movie just it, it, it it's lead. It, that movie just oh, it's work. beyond it, lead. It's it's, it's 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 truly awful. It's, it's the most stunningly bad movie I've seen from a talented filmmaker who I thought was a talented filmmaker. Yeah. he is truly you. You see, a, you see an empty creative gas tank. Yep, he's got nothing. And then there was uh well, he, so too? well to be fair, he knew it. Mm. I'm pretty sure. If not, he certainly got the message from the critical and audience response to Elizabethtown. And he retreated to what he does very well with a couple of really good music docs. Okay. He did did, did the Pearl Jam one. He did the Pearl Jam one, which I like, and the Union, which is about the Elton John album with, uh, Leon Russell. Okay. Which is a really good piece of work. And that is a really enjoyable documentary. Granted, it's hard not to make an interesting documentary when you put Elton John on film. He's an interesting dude. Uh, those are really good. And then we thought, okay, he comes back with We Bought a Zoo, which is so much better than Elizabethtown. Sure. (laughs) And Matt Damon is so good in it that it's better than it has a right to be. He sells stuff that is truly shouldn't, he shouldn't be able to get away with that last scene. And he does. He's very good. He's one of our very best. It's a very manipulative family movie that works at the manipulation. And it's even better at the, I mean, I have this theory, if the last scene, if the emotional scene of the movie pays off, mm-hmm. it did its job. It works so, I, I had this problem okay. with, I had this problem with American Pie. I think American Pie is a genuinely pretty bad movie. I don't find it particularly funny. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly find anything that's going on terribly amusing. But in that last quarter, I really want them to be okay. And I don't know why. <laughs> so, I, I begrudgingly say it worked. It, it must work. I care. Mm-hmm. And his last speech, when he's explaining to the kids finally about when he met their mother, is—I mean, it's a, it's a—it's an overly written scene to be sure. But he can play. But it. Damon pulls it off. Yeah. I mean, it, that that movie would not work with John Cusack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need someone of Damon's caliber to understand exactly how to pitch that. It's not a good movie, but it's better than Elizabeth Town. And I don't even think I bothered with Aloha. Aloha's really bad. Aloha's <laughs> and oh, that's the where you just go, what, what? Why are you interested in this? What what story do you think you're telling? I don't understand what you want to do with this. I feel like it's one of those things where almost famous, he got out so much of what he had to say. I agree. And I don't know that he has anything left in the tank. I agree. And so I'm glad he made say anything before almost famous. I would like to watch uh, Roadies. I would like to watch the Showtime series. I've I, heard rough things. About I that. believe it, but I'd still like to see it because I do hope he's got something. I mean, I really like Luke Wilson, so I'm I'm willing to he's, give it a shot. He's definitely one of those directors who I hope, like, I, I don't know, maybe maybe being out of it for a bit. Jar something in him where he comes back. I would love to see Dude, that. It was six years between Elizabethtown and we bought a zoo. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, he didn't learn much. And but. true, and to be fair, to get back, and God, I hate piling on because again, there are very few directors who make a film as incredibly well lived in as almost famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever read his Billy Wilder book? No, I have not. Okay. He talks about how Billy Wilder is his favorite director. 
He is nothing like Billy Wilder. No. He doesn't have an ounce of Wilder's cynicism in him. No. Or, uh, and that hurts him. Like, I don't under, you picked the wrong role model. Yeah, Billy you Wilder was not, not a uh, syrupy guy. You're not that. You, you've misunderstood what your talent is at this. Yeah. Or you don't want to go near that. I don't know what that is. I mean, even when his characters behave badly, he redeems them. He can't help it. Mm-hmm. Even in Almost Famous, he gives, he gives the, uh, the Billy Crudup character, uh, you know, he gets to be redeemed. He yeah. says, okay, I'll give you the interview now, and yeah. gives him the real interview, and allows it to be published, which... <laughs> Billy, Billy, uh, Billy Wilder's version of that movie is, uh, Billy Crudup is od somewhere at the end of the movie, go to jail. Yeah, or, or, uh, yeah, or Penny, Penny truly does OD and yeah, dies. Yeah. And, yeah, and he goes back home and turns out mom was right. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to shake him out of. He's the, he's the, he's, you know, he's one of those few fascinating writer directors who I, I don't think film was his medium. Very I think possible. He's a, I think he's a writer. Very possible. And I don't think that he, Figured out how to gain anything by telling his stories that way. Unlike, we talked about John Sayles a bunch with, mm. with the baseball thing. Unlike Sayles, who is, was an incredibly talented writer before he started making movies and can write screenplays sure. and direct and knows how to use that medium to assist the story he wants to tell. And I, other than Almost Famous and uh, large chunks of Jerry Maguire and Say Anything, I don't, I don't see that yeah. in his work at all. Well, to bring it home on a positive note, please, because because yeah, please. Is, you, you can get talking about it. I I can do, I do the same thing, and I did it here. It's very easy. Look, what have you done for me lately? And it, it gets sad, but I am just so glad. To say anything exists. It's a movie that yes. does not feel. It doesn't feel like a time capsule. Like I don't feel like it's the stereotypical '80s movie where I my kids never going to pick up on it because it's so. Much not about the time, <laughs> but about the people and these characters and very human emotions that my kids are going to deal with. So they're going to recognize something in this movie. Yes, uh, it is a sweet romance that it's not. You know, it's not your typical formulaic, complicated stuff. It's it feels real. I, I can remember yeah. feeling that way. That's how it felt to fall in love for the first time. Was the way Lloyd and Diane feel, and that's great. And relationships with your parents and how those can be so tricky you can be so easily betrayed yeah. by them even interaction among peers like I, mm-hmm. I, I i i maybe had a blessed experience in high school but i don't remember ever going to a party that i might not have gone to and being ostracized i was like yeah. diane shows up and everybody's really happy to see well, diane there they don't know exactly how to interact with her but they're really happy she's there well, which is right that's that's that yes that's my understanding of the world as well yeah it, it's i know I know a lot of people love the John Hughes movies, and they've never really clicked with me in a lot of ways because let's say they are all about clicks and the caste system, which I know exists in schools, but I never felt that. Like I, no one liked me. It was, just, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, people mixed a little bit more. And you go to that party scene, and people, there's not the jock here, and the nerds are over here. Everyone's kind of mingling and having a good time, and it feels yeah. real. Um, and the the only other movie where I can remember that is. Uh, periods of um, dazed and confused do the same thing, where where it feels like there's <laughs> yeah. a mingling between there, and, and it just it it feels honest. Which again, his his work on uh, Fast Times at Richmond High probably yeah. instilled that in him. 
and he's a guy who grew up very fast, and it, it, yeah, I, I feel that all works well. Um, Joan Cusack, we haven't even talked about oh, her. Oh, so good. Such a small role, but the first time you see her and Lloyd interact, and they are apologizing to each other and yelling at each other, and it feels, obviously <laughs> it is a sibling relationship in real life, but yeah. it feels real. And God, yeah, I, I, I really, I love this movie. Uh, it, it's, it's wonderful. It's one of those ones you revisit and it's just good to see, oh yeah, I was right to love this movie. <laughs> and, and I'm yeah. happy. So. Happy 30th anniversary, Lloyd. Happy 30th anniversary. I hope throughout the year we're going to do some more 30th anniversaries because as you pointed out, 89 was a it's great a year. And we did a whole episode on 99, but there are some movies in 89 that I feel like deserve their own episode. I would hope so. And so we will, uh, we'll try and get those in. Yay! Um, in the meantime, Perry, where are you at? You can find me at Perry Loves Film on Twitter. You can find me by my real name, Perry Seibert, on Facebook. Uh, you can hear me every Friday morning on WLBY 1290 AM on the Lucy Ann Lance Show in the Ann Arbor area. That show is also available online, so you can find me in the archives there. Uh, and probably somewhere in the middle of the third row at your local multiplex. All right. You can find me at Mere Christianity on Twitter. Uh, you can find our podcast at WatchingCast on Twitter and on Instagram. You can head over to our Patreon page, which is linked to in the show notes, and help us out if you like this and you want to get some fun bonus content. And, oh, the boombox is coming out. So I will just say, in your eyes, you can read me twice a week on Michigan Sports Entertainment. We will see you in two weeks. In your eyes. See the doorway, your eyes, to a thousand churches, your eyes. <laughs>